Good evening to Wednesday Night Chapel. We're glad you're here tonight. We look forward to what God has for each and every one of us. As you know, um, this week has been about some pulpit holiness evangelism lectures, and we've been very so privileged to have Dr. Stephen Manley with us, and we're just um, praying that he will feel um, God's anointing on him tonight. I want to share that um, a little bit about what we're doing. This annual series of lectures established in 1976 is sponsored by the children of Reverend Harry W. Dickerson in honor of their father. Reverend Dickerson was an evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene for 50 years. The purpose of this series is to emphasize the pulpit presentation of the doctrine of holiness by active evangelists. And aren't we thankful that we have an evangelist here tonight who believes the Word of God from cover to cover? Can we welcome him? Could we say our theme together tonight? Here am I, Lord, send me. And can we pray that in our hearts quietly? Amen. I want you to turn to uh, Acts chapter 2, if you would. <clears throat> uh, we're looking tonight at verse 28. That is verse 27. Let us bow in prayer. In the name of Jesus, we will accept nothing less than a total, absolute revelation of your face. We're not demanding. We're not telling you what to do. We are crying out from the depth of our heart for we hunger for that revelation. Would you leap out of the pages of your word and so brilliantly reveal yourself that somehow we're all sitting in the seat listening, watching, seeing you. To that end, we commit these moments. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 27 tonight. <clears throat> and uh, Pentecost, of course, is the context. It's uh, verse 1 through 4, as you know. And the Pentecost event has taken place. We've been trying to describe that event through these nights that we've been together. And <clears throat> we're dealing with the issue of uh, sourcing. Uh, and I don't know if that's a word you use a lot. Uh, some people have questioned that word. Some people even accuse me of making it up, but I don't think I did. Sourcing, resourcing, enabling. It's really a key. You realize that sourcing is the key issue of the kingdom of God. Sourcing is the issue of how we define our theology. For instance, if you're talking about sin, the central issue of sin is a sourcing issue. It's interesting that Paul in Romans chapter 1 gives a whole list of sins that the pagans do. Over in Galatians, I think it's chapter 5, he gives a list of the, of the works of the flesh. They're not the same list. A list of deeds of sin. He says, nobody who does this ever gets into the kingdom. You can't get into the kingdom and do this. He's very strong on that. But they aren't the same list. You get the feeling that it's not an exhaustive list. But the interesting thing is you look at every one of those sin deeds that he lists... In those, in those particular lists. When you look at them, every single one of them, every time they are done, 
is self-sourced. Every time. Example, adultery. God never sources that. Never. Anytime, anyplace, anywhere where that takes place, it's self-sourced. Doesn't matter the circumstances. Doesn't matter what's going on. Anytime that takes place, it's self-sourced. Self-sourced is self-sourcing is a demonic nature. The opposite of that it is spirit-sourced. Now there's a whole lot of deeds that could be self-sourced or could be spirit-sourced. For instance, preaching! Well, that's spirit-sourced. Could be self-sourced. And if it was, it would be a sin. The issue isn't the deed. The issue is the sourcing. Does that make sense to you? So see, sourcing is really an issue. What is it that sources you? Whether you're living out of your own resource, whether you're operating out of your own ability, whether you're living out of your own traditions, whether you're flowing out of your own energy, whether you're operating out of what you know, whether you're doing the best you can, or whether, oh, he has come, he has indwelt you, Pentecost, and he is sourcing you, and you're living like you can't live, and you're being what you can't be, and you're loving like you can't love. It's hard to love everybody. Have you tried? <laughs> You have to go to the hospital to get stitches in your lower lip where you bit it through. <laughs> it's difficult to love. I can tolerate everybody, but love everybody. You can't do it. Well, I'm doing my best. That's not Christianity. Christianity is divine God coming, indwelling you, and loving through you. So this is not about your love for his sake. This is about his love through you for your own sake. You need it. <laughs> it's a sourcing issue. 120 have just received this. Three to 5,000 people are saying, what on earth is going on? Verse 12, whatever could this mean to be in my life? Peter stands up, moved upon by the Holy Spirit, says, I want to explain it to you. And he explains it in terms of sourcing. Jesus is his example. Verse 22, he says, Jesus was sourced by the Father. Everything Jesus did, he did because he was filled with the Spirit. He was the first one to have this. The whole life of Jesus, miracles, wonders, and signs, all sourced by the Father. God did them through him. In fact, his death was sourced by the Father. It was by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God that he was brought to a tree, sourced by the Father. Wouldn't it be great to have your death sourced by God and have it mean something in the kingdom plan? his resurrection was sourced by the father verse 24 so his life death resurrection sourced by the father he said I know you didn't get that so I want to call on Jesus to give a testimony I want him to testify and give his experience tell you what it was like and he gives this messianic psalm it's phenomenal as he gives this messianic psalm, verse 25 down through verse 28, it's as if Jesus is standing there and his lips are parting and he's speaking this. We've dealt with the first two. Verse 25, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. Literally, 
in my eye. It's a focus thing. It's about concentration. Jesus says, all the time I'm being sourced by the Father, the Father's in my eye. He's gotten so close I can't see anything else. Oh, I see every circumstance in my life through, his, through the lens of the Father. He's in the middle of everything. There's nothing going on in my life that he isn't in the middle of. He is in my eyeball. He says, verse 26, all the time Jesus is being sourced by the Father, the Father's in my eye, and all the time the Father's in my eye, oh, something else is going on. It's going on in my heart. The Father's in my heart and I have a well mind. In fact, it's high-spirited fun. I just have a deep-seated contentment in the depth of my inward being that just can't be shaken. You can nail me and it'll still be there because this just can't, it's the Father. We're just having a high-spirited fun in the depth of my heart. In fact, he's dancing in my face. In fact, my whole physical body is responding to him. Time to explain Pentecost to you. It's a sourcing issue. Now he moves us to verse 27. Look at this thing. You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. I know that verse 27, all scripture is valuable. The other two verses have been really neat. But I know that verse 27 is the key. It is the most important of all. Well, is that your opinion? No, that's Peter's opinion. He was preaching this sermon and he turns right around down in verse 20, 31 and quotes the thing again. That's twice in one sermon, man. In fact, if you go on through the book of Acts into like chapter 13, I think it is, you'll find this verse quoted again. That's three times. That just waves red flags. That says, hey, pay attention. This verse really matters. In fact, it's really significant that if you back up to verse 24, you will find out that it's the same identical verse in verse 24. But it's not a direct quote. But what he's done is he's taken the same idea and he's updated it into the present tense. Do you realize in verse 27, it's future tense. You will not leave my soul in Hades. Now in verse 24, it's already happened. See, that was written in the Old Testament. It was a future thing. But now Peter says, hey, it's already a done deal, man. And in verse 24, he describes it as present tense. Look at verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he could be, should be held by it. Isn't it interesting that he describes resurrection there as an action word, verb? That the resurrection is not just an event. Oh, I'm going to die, dead or in a doornail. Jesus is going to come the second time. Zap! Whoa! Thank you, Jesus. I'll always look back and remember it. He says, would you go beyond that in your concept? Would you think not just of an event when God zapped you and out you come? Would you think of the generating life of God within you? Would you think of the, oh, 
overwhelming, quickening, alivening presence of the divine resurrected Lord who indwells you, who's just permeating your system, all wrapped up in your being, and is literally aliving you from the inside, and that you're living the resurrection every moment. He pictures death as gigantic fingers that are reaching out to seize and to grab and to hold, to get a handle on you, to grip you, to trap you. He says, it just can't happen. You know why? You've got this generating life of God going on down inside, and these fingers that reach out to grab you, he turns you into Teflon and it can't stick. <laughs> Isn't that neat? In fact, John in his gospel, you know all this, John in his gospel is so strong, he says eternal life is not what we're going to get, it's what we've already got. Jesus turned to Mary and Martha at the grave of Lazarus and said, if you believe in me, you shall never die. How could that be? Because you got this. Whelming up inside of you. Now, here's the issue. If that's true, which it is, what kind of relationship would this be? How deep, what kind of, how would you describe a relationship that would be like that? That's the issue of our passage. It's all found in this one word. Oh, you will not leave. Translation of one Greek word. Not is a word by itself. But you will leave. And it's in the negative. You will not leave. It's in kata lipo. Lipo is the basic word. Lipo is the Greek word for leave, abandoned, forsaken. Leave. And that's what our passage says. You will not leave. Leave. So why didn't he just say lipo? No, he added in kata, which is no way to translate. In kata literally takes the word leave, lipo, and literally yanks it into relational context. In, we talked about that one night, in. From is a motion word. Into, motion word. In, no motion. It's the key heart core of the, of the Christian experience. Christ in you. Paul is always talking about in Christ, Christ in. This whole in thing, which is an abiding, relational kind of deal. So he says in, kata. Kata is down, but not just down, way down. So this is deep. So this is a relational idea. In kata lipo. He says, Father, you know what's been going on. By the way, did you note that the pronouns changed? If you'll note in verse 25, for he is at my right hand. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad more of my flesh. See, all verse 25 and 26 is talking about the Father. Now in verse 27, he just breaks into this, just gets so carried away, he begins to address the Father. And you've moved, what the music people say, you've mused, you have moved from praise to worship. So verse 27 is a worship thing. 
Father, he says, you cannot get away from me. Why? Because we're just so mixed up together. There's no way you could. If we went right down into the depth of Hades and hell, you couldn't, you couldn't leave me there. Why? Because you can't get away from me. We're just so mixed up together. If you'd take Jesus and the Father and dump them out on a table, you couldn't say, well, that's Jesus. That's the Father. That's Jesus. That's the Father. Because they are so intertwined and mixed up together that you can't separate. How do you describe that kind of relationship? It's interesting in the first four ver verses of the book, that is of chapter 2, describing Pentecost, he uses the word filled distinctly twice to describe the indwelling of the Spirit. Verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled. It's phenomenal. And down, down in verse 4, they were all filled. So he uses that word twice to describe, but it's not the same Greek word. <laughs> Takes a lot to excite you guys, doesn't it? It's not the same Greek word. He changes words on us. The word in verse 2 where he says, and it filled the whole house is the container word. It's you got this large container, you got this content. You take the content, you put it into the container. He says, that's what's happened at Pentecost. I'm a container. God has been outside, now I'm the container. God has come to be inside and he fills me. He's inside of me. I'm the habitat of God. I'm the temple of the divine. I'm the holder. I'm the coffee cup. He's filled me. But he says, wait a minute, that isn't exactly all I need to say about that. Because the coffee cup idea, you know, where you put, you're just a shell and the coffee's just sloshing around inside. He says, I'm not just a shell and God is sloshing around inside of me. He said, no, let me expand that. And he moves you to verse 4 and it's the sponge word. Remember when Jesus was dying on a cross? Cried out and said, I thirst. It says they ran and filled a sponge. This is the word. It's the sponge thing. See, it's not a shell. It's sponge soaked, saturated, permeated. Every essence, every bit, every fiber is somehow intertwined. Hey, no place can you touch the sponge, but what's you? Oh, got it all over me. He says, you know what's going on? I'm not just a shell. God lives in my heart. God lives underneath my left rib. No, he's literally saturated. Any place you want to go in my life, brother, go into my mind, go into my nerves, go to my emotions, go to my body drives, go to the very essence of my toes, to the head of my head, and you know what you're going to get all over you when you touch me? Jesus, because I'm just... He's describing something. The intimacy of the relationship. How do you talk about it? I'm the vine. You're the branch. We never get mixed up on that. Vine is the vine. Branch is the branch. But the branch is intertwined into the vine. The vine is intertwined into the branch. They've literally become one. They've sat. Oh, they're distinct. We know that. The vine is the vine. The branch is the branch. The branch has the bark of the vine. It bears the life of the vine. bears the fruit of the vine. It is the vine. No, it's not the vine. It's the branch. But they're also intertwined together. Vine, branch. You can cut the branch off, but you always got a stub. Some of you could talk more intelligently about this than I. Welding. Oh, 
the welding concept. It's awesome. Piece of steel broken. You don't duct tape it. You don't super glue it. You weld it. You heat, they tell me, purification process, but then you heat both. Think of this. You heat. Think of this. You heat both pieces of steel to the point that the molecule structure, the cellular structure of both pieces just begin to melt and intermix with each other. Turn up the heat! Woo! Wouldn't it be something? Until the very molecules of my being are literally intermixed. This is not, I know him. This is not, I'm studying about him. This is, whoa! The intimacy of that. Do you realize what that does? Think about this. Wouldn't it be interesting if Christianity is not none of me, all of him? Well, Christianity is certainly not all of me and none of him, that's for sure. But wouldn't it be interesting if Christianity is not none of me and all of him? Wouldn't it be interesting if Christianity is all of me and all of him in a... Now, everything I've just tried to tell you is verified in the rest of that first statement. He says, you will not leave my soul. My soul in Hades, my soul. This really bothered me because when you say soul to me, I think of that eternal part of me that lives forever. I think of that eternal part of me that's a part of, uh, that is the image of God within me that animals don't have. Although I have a dog that might. But never mind. Uh, that internal, that image of God thing in me that animals don't. But this Greek word that's translated soul here throughout the New Testament, animals have this. So evidently he's not talking about soul, soul. And when you get down to the bottom of it, it has the idea of principle of life. An example where it's used, Paul was preaching, uh, third story, I guess, a uh, hot afternoon, and his sermon was long, aren't they all? And uh, this guy fell asleep, sitting in the window, fell asleep, you know the story, fell asleep, and he fell out and killed himself, which is a warning to everybody who sleeps in church, bless God. <laughs> so anyhow, Paul ran down the stairway, fell on this guy, fell on this guy, and looked up and said, his whatever this word is, has not left him. His principle of life, what makes him... Oh, what, is, what is that? I, got, I began to talk about it in terms of DNA. Now, I'm an expert on DNA because I watch CSI. <laughs> DNA. Yeah, here stands my dad. He's right over here. Uh, I have his DNA. In fact, if you look at his face and you look at mine, he gave me these things right here. Thank you, Dad. Oh, he gave me this thing right here. Thank you, Dad. 
Now here's where the illustration breaks down. I don't have my dad. I have his DNA. My dad's been dead for 30 years, so I don't have my dad. I have his DNA. What would happen if Jesus would become my DNA? Let me give me an example. There was this sheep gate in the scriptures, New Testament, the sheep gate thing. Well, they had to have one. You know, all the sheep came into Jerusalem, the temple, and they had to slaughter all those, and my, just all those sheep. And you know what sheep do when they come through a gate, so you don't want them coming all through all the gates. So this is a special gate where they all come through. Can you imagine what, anyhow. Uh, there's this pool by the sheep gate. And the rumor is when the water's troubled, first one in gets a miracle. So this guy's been there 38 years. Again, you know the story. This guy's been there 38 years waiting for his miracle, never the first one in. Jesus comes along, says, hey, wouldn't you like to be made well? He said, oh, yes, could you stay and help me? He said, don't need that. Roll your bed up, put it on your shoulder, head out of here. The guy rolled his bed up, fell it on his shoulder, and he's, hey, made well. He doesn't go to a walker, he doesn't go to a cane, he's gone, and he's running around the temple, and everybody's, oh, 38 years, well, isn't that something? Well, God bless him. And this bed's bouncing on his shoulder, and he's having a big time. As the Pharisees are watching him, oh, I forgot to tell you, it was the Sabbath day. As they're watching him, and he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath day, they realize, oh, that's breaking the Sabbath day law. So they reach down into their pouch, and they grab a hold of their stones. You can carry stones on the Sabbath day, but you cannot carry your bed. You never know when you're going to need a stone. Keep some handy. So they surround this guy, and as they surround him, they say, we're going to stone you to death. You're carrying your bed on the Sabbath day. So the guy who got a miracle after 38 years of waiting is about to die. You know what he does? He throws up his hands and says, wait! Not my fault. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I was minding my own business. This guy came along, said, and I, and away I went. <laughs> well, who was this guy? I didn't get his name. Isn't that ironic? I didn't get his name. But he said, listen, if you let me off the hook, I'll let you know. I'll find out and let you know. So that afternoon, there was an encounter between him and Jesus on the Sabbath day, that Sabbath afternoon, and he found out who it was. Jesus, Jesus was the one. And so you know what he did? He ratted him out. Can you believe that? They got their stones. They all surrounded Jesus and this guy. And as they were surrounding Jesus and this guy, they said, Jesus, we're going to stone you to death. This guy said he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. He said it wasn't his fault. He says it's your fault. We're going to stone you to death. You know what Jesus said? Wait! Not my fault. <laughs> they said, you better tell us whose fault it is real quick because somebody's going to die today. He said, get your stones ready. It's my father. He's to blame for me. You know why I look the way I look? My father. You know why I act the way I act? I can't help it. <laughs> my father. <laughs> you know why I walk the way I walk? I can't help it. <laughs> it's my father. <laughs> you know why I have the attitudes I have? I can't help it. <laughs> It's my father. You know why I love the way I love? I can't help it. It's my father. He's to blame for me.
Yeah, preacher, I did get a little upset. I did get up in the middle of the board meeting. Bunch of dead brain. I did have some choice words to say to that board. My face did get red. I did walk out that door. I did slam it a little hard on my way out. Why'd you do that? Jesus made me do it. Well, he's to blame for me. You say, well, I wouldn't say that. When you say, I'm a Christian, what do you think you're saying? Isn't there a kind of Christianity I can get where I can get a free ticket to the sky by and by? Jesus died for me and I get off scot-free. Isn't there that kind of where I don't have to really? No. This Pentecost thing, this is all there is now. to blame for you. Jesus, huh. I've excused myself and said, well, it was my heritage, it was my dad, it was my mom. Was the way I was raised. Didn't get the breaks. I was raised in the church and so and so and such and such and then they did and I never got over it. Is it time for me to actually? enter into such a deep relationship with you that you permeate the very depths of my soul and you do whatever you need to do in me until you literally become my DNA and you produce me. I'm sick of trying, struggling, attempting, doing my best. I'd like to flow with the resurrected, generating life of God. Could all that I am be filled with all that you are so that all that you are could be seen in all that I am? And could I be a demonstration of the life of Christ. Heads are bowed. Holders open. If you want to do your best, this is not the place to kneel. If you want to go out of here and try harder, don't kneel here. 
few are anxious for a distinct, definite shift in sourcing. If you have been trying to source your own Christianity, knowing that Jesus has touched you, and, but you've taken over and you're trying your best and you're working at it, if you've been trying to source your own Christianity, no wonder you're so irritated. Would you let him go to the depth of your life, intertwine you, saturate you like a sponge, infiltrate your mind? What's the problem area you're dealing with? The thought process, your emotions, what are you dealing with? Would you let him source that area? You could be the dad you ought to be if he sourced your fatherhood. Yes. Moments of seeking. Be obedient. At the proper time, our chaplain will come and give us direction and closure. tonight I pray for your help for your revelation for your tender Holy Spirit to come upon them and for those in their seats Lord who are having communion with you as well bless them God we thank you for what you've done in us this week sent to us this week by way of Dr. Stephen Manley and we pray for him Lord God that you would continue to bless anoint shower him with your mercy your grace 
from this place tonight, I pray that we would have that kind of love for one another and for the world out there that needs Jesus Christ as Savior. We tell you that we love you, Lord. We praise you. And we thank you for what you're going to continue to reveal to us. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior.